Hi there and welcome back to the FFS podcast. I'm your host Pradi once again and this is episode number 2 of season 3 of the FFS series. Yeah, so if you're going to if you're watching this then congratulations because you're a member of the podcast, you're basically on Patreon, so because only patron and members of the podcast can watch this on YouTube, but if you're listening to this on the audio podcast and I bet you I think at least 90% are listening to this currently on the podcast on different podcast platforms welcome back to the podcast and i think i said podcast way too many times now <laughs> but welcome back and today's episode we've got something special lined up i think when we did season 2 we did an episode which dealt with how the men's teams uh, or men's football clubs dealt with the pandemic and we kind of looked at the financial situation of it We now shift our attention to the women's side of the game, so women's football, and we're going to be talking about how it's been two years since the pandemic hit, at least one and a half years since we've been playing games behind closed doors, and we're going to be talking to a fan and a journalist, get their perspectives of how different football's been for them over the past one and a half years. But before we get to that, let's start off with introductions. We'll start in alphabetical order, as is the norm on this podcast, and we'll start with Jonathan. So Jonathan, welcome back to the podcast, and why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Um, thank you for having me back. Yeah, um, I'm a Manchester United fan. Followed women's football ever since Man United uh, came about, and now we, uh, along with Natalie and a couple of others, um, run a podcast uh, every night of the week where we go live at seven o'clock to discuss uh, Manchester United women's team as well as uh, women's football in general. Awesome and yes I have been I'm a, I've been I've had the pleasure of being a part of the Offer United WFC channel other podcasts the episodes a couple of times it's it's been really really fun I haven't received as much banter as I would have expected being a Liverpool fan on a Manchester United channel but I I will definitely put the links down in obviously on YouTube as well as on the audio uh, podcast description so you can check that out I mean is definitely for anyone who's interested in women's football and especially Manchester United women's football you can go check it out there and next we move on to Rich Rich hasn't been on the podcast before season FFS newbie so Rich welcome to the podcast and why don't you tell us a bit about yourself uh yeah thanks for having me on first and foremost I've been a women's football writer for quite some time now for various people across the years I've always been freelance I also work for Sheffield United um uh, with our women's team um on the media side and and the social media side I've done that since the restructure of the leagues 3 years ago but still predominantly a writer not quite as much as I used to because I'm juggling those two roles now but uh, yeah I've been involved in the women's game for nearly a decade now How did you come about becoming a journalist for the women's game? A bit of luck really. Um <laughs> it was kind of when I was at university in Leeds oh just over 10 years ago now when I started Leeds United at that point had quite a good women's team. We had to sort of do a project at university following kind of a local sports club basically getting as much access as we could and and kind of writing our own digital blog um and knowing that Leeds had a good women's team I started to go up there and, and follow them a little bit and it just turned into a good story to follow because that was when the WSL was starting and, and Leeds decided um not to make a bid 
for a license and they lost all their players and kind of had to start again. And I wouldn't say the story itself is why I stuck with it. I just sort of enjoyed, I enjoyed the community sort of feel of it when the WSL was starting, but it was also kind of an eye opener to how easy it was to get that access. I mean, I was just a university student and you could just walk into the games, you know, and, and interview people that you wanted to interview. And I think as a young startup writer, I think it made sense to kind of try and pursue that. And then I sort of just fell into it in various different roles over the years as the game was growing and people were looking for someone that had kind of prior experience or knowledge of the women's game. And yeah, it kind of all went from there and, and then sort of took off probably in terms of working in it not full-time, but kind of predominantly around 2014, 2015 and the World Cup um, in Canada and, and yeah, just been in it ever since, really. We talk about the women's game and accessibility being one of the key sort of differences between the men and the women's game in in, this, in sense, like how easy it is to at least, I wouldn't say get in touch with the high-profile footballers, but it's at least much easier than it is than the men's game. You can... I mean, we've seen like Jonathan, Nat, Nat, and everyone take like uh, you know talk to Casey Stoney before she left and stuff like that. So I think that sort of accessibility was is much needed, and I guess that, like you mentioned, probably one of the key reasons why people kind of appreciate the women's game a lot more because it feels a lot more closer to the to the players than they do in the men's game. But anyway, let's let's talk about this topic now and. Like I mentioned, so rewind ourselves for one and a half years ago and we wouldn't have imagined that for the next one and a half years we would be playing or we'd be watching football behind closed doors, no fans allowed inside the stadium. Outside, I'm pretty sure there were still people around there, but uh, none inside the stadium, players playing in complete silence. Unless you watch it in one of those streams that had the fake noise, which is, well, you have your own opinions on it. but. I think let's start, Jonathan, let me ask you, as a fan, the past one and a half years, how's it been for you watching your, te- watching your team, despite, be- see, for someone like me, watching, say, a Liverpool play week in, week out, I, it didn't make too much of a difference because I knew I couldn't go to the stadium on a regular basis. I am how many ever miles away from the UK. So for me, I, for me it, I didn't really feel that effect a lot, but for you especially who's been to the matches week in, week out, you know, whether it be men's or women's game. For for you, how difficult and how different has the past one and a half years been? Yeah, because it's been very difficult at, 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 at the start because COVID came at a time where I was going to more football matches than ever in my life. Um, because I was going to the men's under-23 as well, at least North Village, went to all the half games, league and cup for the women's team tried to get to many men's games as well. So I was kind of like on quite a high at the time and I changed jobs a couple of two or two and a half years ago, which allowed me to have more evenings free and more weekends free. So um so yeah, I was really enjoying my time at the stadiums. And then all of a sudden you, you just I, I just suddenly stopped. And I think what also was awkward was we, we never actually knew when we was going to return back to the stadium. So at one point we was hoping it would be the end of the season. We'd try and get another couple of games before the end of the season. Obviously, that didn't happen. Then throughout summer, we were thinking, okay, maybe we can come back at, at the start of September. That didn't happen. And then it went over a whole, whole other season. So it was just the unknown. And obviously, at, at, 
it got to a point where you kind of learned to just deal with it, whether that be just watching it on TV or interacting as much as you could on on um, YouTube and Twitter. And it was very, it was very tough, but obviously I'm one of these people who just try to take positive from it. And for myself, the positives would be to, you know, talk more to fans on social media and gain relationships. So when we do eventually go back to the stadium, you know, like a hundred people that you didn't know beforehand, and that's pretty much the level that I'm at now. You know, everyone at the stadium now either comes to me or I go to them, shake their hand, and and they're brand new people to me in my personal life, but. On social media, I've been chatting to them for the past two years, uh, and it's great to obviously have that side of it. But not being able to see the players was very tough because it was a massive part of our life to see the players and congratulate them at the end of the game and to say well done to them or just to shout, shout the name in the crowd. And for them to hear our support, that that had completely gone for eighteen months. So there's obviously massive negatives, but we, you know, I do try and take a few positives from it as well. Right, and. It's understandable because you know it, it wasn't that it was a gradual sort of you know people slowly started not attending. It was immediately like they cut it short, saying, "Okay, you're not allowed to attend anymore. That's it." And it felt like I, I suppose it's it's just an abrupt sort of end to your routine. And especially more than I know, like you mentioned, you know, shouting you the players' names out, being there for support. More than that, I think it's also sharing the like the place with your f- friends, like someone like Nat and everyone like that, kind of sharing a stadium with fellow football enthusiasts, kind of being with friends out there, at least enjoying. Because even you couldn't go to the pubs anymore. That was also banned for a while. So essentially you were sitting at home and, you know, watching TV and the best you could do is probably get on a Zoom call like this, do like a sort of reaction to it with friends or probably be on the phone call post the game. So I suppose it... it I can understand, you know, why it felt quite abrupt and why it felt difficult. Rich, for you, before we get to how different it was from a journalist or uh, yeah, yeah, journalist point of view, and even as a media manager point of view, from as a fan, how different or how uh, yeah, how different did it feel for you? And also, how much did the women's game change as a result of these COVID regulations? Well, I don't really get to go to that many games as a fan anymore, unfortunately, just because of work scheduled. But it was, yeah, it was definitely different from a work point of view. I, I think in terms of the women's game, I was definitely quite worried at the beginning about the impact it would have financially um, for clubs that were obviously nowhere near the level of money that's the men's game. And, and you know, even at one point, I think, in the first proper lockdown, you know, people were talking about what was going to happen to, you know, the men's game, even as high up as sort of League One and League Two, um, in terms of the amount of clubs that might have ended up going into administration. And obviously there was lots of talks about rescue packages and you're thinking, wow, if this is happening in League One and League Two, what's going to happen to the WSL? Um, sort of beyond probably Man United, Man City, Chelsea, Arsenal, maybe Everton. And obviously the championship as well, where I work with Sheffield United, it was like, what's going to happen? You know, is there going to be a league? Are there going to be any teams actually left? And I think a lot of people were quite worried and probably come out of it a lot better than um, I think a lot of people thought. I think people were thinking definitely we were going to lose some teams or, you know, lose a league even. And obviously we didn't lose any teams 
Um, at the end of the day, all the teams that were there before came back and, and actually you look at the investment in the last 12 months from teams obviously like Leicester last season going full-time and now this year the likes of Coventry and, and Lewis and London City and um, even in the WSL, you know, the money that the top clubs are still putting into it, what Everton have done, obviously they've invested a lot. I think actually the clubs have come out of it in a really good position. I don't think they seem to have been too badly affected. I think I think attendances have been hit. I don't think the attendances have been as strong coming back as they were before. I think a little bit of that, obviously the first weekend, a lot of teams had their games at the main stadiums and I think that is losing a little bit of its novelty. I think me and John, we spoke about that on another podcast recently, so I'm not going to delve into it too much, but I just think as even the England game on last Friday, you know, had 8,000, I think, which is not too bad for a game against North Macedonia at, you know, down in Southampton on a Friday night, but I think the FA wanted more and I think the WSL and, and Championship attendances have been okay. I don't think they've been anything spectacular and I don't know whether people are still, you know, obviously it's kind of a different audience in many ways to the men's game. A lot of families come in with young children and, you know, do they want to bring out their kids, you know, to open environments and public transport and things like that, obviously. Well, I mean, it's weird now how kind of used to it we've got living with COVID, but you look at the stats every day and there's still 30-odd thousand new cases and still nearly 200 people dying every day and we've just kind of got used to that. But obviously, it still shows how dangerous it is and, you know, I'm sure there's lots of families that don't want to put themselves and their children in that situation, which is understandable. So I hope that changes over time, obviously, and more people come back to the stadiums. But I think within clubs and within the FA, I think, they're experiencing difficulties selling tickets um, to the extent that they were before. So I think that's the, probably the biggest impact. But I think overall, I think the women's game has probably actually come out of it better than anybody thought. Because like I said, I think there was one point probably 12 to 18 months ago where there was a real fear over what the women's game was going to look like. And actually, it, it's still in a very good position, thankfully. Yeah, I, I mean, Jonathan, like Rich mentioned... He, there was a fear because I think a couple of seasons ago the the WSL was cut short because of because games weren't allowed to play and then I think that was the season that we got relegated because we weren't on enough points and you know at that point did you feel given that football wasn't I mean, football for the men's game was suspended and came back in July or sometime during the summer but did you feel from the women fear for the women's game given we know how the FA kind of treats the women's league in the sense that they their priority is definitely the men's game where money is the biggest sort of revenue for them. And then they probably looked at the women's game secondary. Now, I'm not saying that's right. That's definitely not right. But did, did you think, did you fear that given as long as these sort of regulations or the, the, the rules, COVID rules apply that women's football might not be back at any point? Um, I thought it might come back in a different capacity. Um, mm -hmm. it, it, I, think, I think we have done well. I think it, it took us long enough to come back. But now that we are back, when we went to LSB, nothing changed apart from the way that we actually entered the stadium. 
So from Man United supporters' point of view, it's almost like we hadn't, we hadn't been away. Me and Rich were just discussing about yeah. we never really thought that maybe the no, no teams would actually be would suffer, but maybe like people behind the scenes, maybe uh, or like maybe potential redundancies might have been the case. But Rich, did you just want to kind of say what you were saying? Yeah. So obviously, from a club point of view, it's been odd in a way, and it's been odd, but it's also been very normal, sort of being at games, and you know, I was very privileged in kind of both of my jobs really as a journalist that you know we were still given access to games I mean the access has changed a lot particularly when it comes to like press conferences you know they all even now are still being done on Zoom post-match a lot of clubs are still doing things on Zoom and I hope that goes back to normal and goes back Mm -hmm. to -to face-to-face because I don't really think there's too much of a reason it shouldn't now if we can go to games I think we can speak to the manager or players in an, an outdoor environment. But yeah, you know, we can still go to games. And I remember going to Wembley for the, the Community Shield, uh, the first Women's Community Shield last year. And it was just empty. You know, it was just a few people in the media box and it was very surreal. And obviously with Sheffield United, obviously was going to all of our games last year, home and away. And it's weird because you kind of get used to it in a way that there's nobody there. And when you sat sort of amongst the the subs and, you know, the staff and everything, you kind of have that little bit of atmosphere around you anyway. So you kind of block out the fact that there's no fans in the ground and you do actually get used to it. It was funny because obviously there was a lot of uh, sort of people, I think towards the end of the year, I remember there was a story around, I mean, I think there was some stories around Man United actually in facilities, but there was one around Chelsea when they played Bayern Munich in the Champions League at Bayern Munich, you know, they said they had to get changed in the bar and things like that. And it was funny because like people were sort of up in arms about all these stories. And I was just like, this is how it is, you know, because some team, everyone had different COVID protocols. Everyone, there was some that were set by the league and within that clubs could kind of then pick, pick and choose what they wanted to do as well. And, a lot of clubs basically because of social distancing had to spread their squad between both their changing rooms. So instead of just using the home changing room, like you would used to, you'd use home and away, which obviously would mean the away team had to get changed somewhere else. That was often, you know, like a bar area or a conference room. We had that. I think when we went to Liverpool at Prenton Park, we got changed in the bar, some stadiums. I think we went to Aston Villa in the cup. We were somewhere completely the other side of the stadium. Even this year, we went to Blackburn on the opening day and we were still getting changed um, in the bar because of the proximity between the two changing rooms and the fact Blackburn needed both the changing rooms. And, you know, people were up in arms. Our clubs were having like portal toilets and things because you can't, you couldn't use them. You weren't allowed to go inside and, you know, even at our training ground now, we still have, you know, portable toilets outside because you can only have sometimes a certain amount of people in the building. And these were probably the things that maybe fans didn't understand and, and how actually extreme it kind of was. I'd never complain because, you know, we still got to go to football games, but you did have to jump through a lot of hoops just to be able to attend a match in terms of where you could go, what you could do. And yeah, it was it was crazy. Like, but again, you sort of just got used to it, and and you still get used to it now. Walking into a stadium and wearing a mask, or you know, having to be in a red zone or an amber zone or something like that, 
yeah. you know, and the proximity again between teams in different changing rooms and trying not to mix bubbles. So it, it was, you know, we were very lucky, whether it's with the media or with Sheffield United, that I've still been able to go to pretty much every game that I ever wanted to in the last 12 months. But yeah, I mean, it's been so different. You get used to it, like I said, but it, it's been a big change. Well, yeah, it definitely sounds like it. I, I mean, if I if I had read something about you know teams getting changed in the bar or something like that, yeah, I I'm pretty sure we. I mean, I would be angry about it, and I guess angry because the um, the the state of the game itself. But like you mentioned, it, it's sort of the norm right now rather than. Uh, you know, a rarity. So, but yeah, I mean, it's troubling to know that that's the case. Uh, all right. So, Jonathan, let's. Another thing that Richard mentioned earlier on is the fact that a lot of these teams rely on like gate receipts. So, people like you going to the stadiums and spending your hard earned money on watching a game of football. But, you know, teams that don't have like a men's team, like a Manchester United or a Manchester City, you know, teams with big, rich owners. For them, how do you think they've managed to get through this? I think it's just a fact of all pulling together. I think um, not just football teams, but like all the smaller companies have all had to take measures and to take cuts one way or the other. Um, obviously, with their gate receipts, I completely get it. But um, obviously, with their football matches, there's also less, less expense as well. So I, I do kind of get it. Um, but some of my local teams who are, are very low down tier, they, some of them don't even charge, you know, the ones that do charge only charge a pound. But then you look at the amount of wages that they need to pay. There's not much, there's not much there actually that you're paying for. You've got uh, some of the coaches that are actually the um, the, the linesmen. You've got um, hardly any security there. No health and safety people there. Um, players obviously don't get paid. So I suppose the ones lower down the team obviously have got less expensive. So I kind of, Kind of think that they probably balance it that way. I'm not too sure how the government's helped out uh, regarding like like any kind of funding there. But I think it's just a case of every company uh, or every business has had to make cuts and make changes. And I think, thankfully, um, the, you know, the clubs have done that in, in the right way. That's kind of worked this work for them. Is it the same? I suppose, Rich, for Sheffield, would would that be some sort of a situation that a club like Sheffield would find themselves doing? Or adopting? I think for us, it was kind of, I mean, we were very lucky and are very lucky that we're obviously linked with quite an established club mm-hmm. that when this all started, we're obviously in the Premier League and now, you know, in the Championship. And I, I don't know how maybe the more independent um, clubs that aren't linked with those big men's teams survived. I think there were obviously payments that came down that were obviously agreed with the Premier League and the FA and things like that. that that probably helped clubs out a lot because like you say, there were, you know, no ticket sales. But I I think I said this on a podcast about a year ago that actually clubs at this level, they're not quite as reliant on ticket sales as people think because actually there's not that many people coming to the games. Um, The clubs that get the big attendances, you know, the top clubs in the Premier, in the WSL, again, the Uniteds, the Cities, etc., they don't rely on ticket sales because they've got millions and millions of pounds and and teams like ourselves don't rely on them because we don't actually get that many through the door. So actually, we didn't lose that much from ticket sales. I think it's just generally your operations on a day-to-day basis, you know, know, sponsors, you're not getting that sponsor coverage and there's just not games and it's just everything just stopped. 
So maybe, I don't know, in all the panic of what was going on, maybe the financial issues were exaggerated a little bit. I don't know. I can only speak for my club because probably in terms of, like I said, tickets and things like that, we weren't actually losing that much. I don't know how close maybe other teams, like I said, that are independent came to going under. Um, obviously don't have access to what their meetings were like, but from our point of view, you know, there was a lot of clarity, you know, the, the general managers had pretty regular meetings with the FA and then they jump on a Zoom call with all of us, you know, the manager and the coaches and, and people like myself, all the players, we'd have Zoom calls every week really, you know, to feedback what the FA was saying, what was happening with the season, were we going to restart? You know, if we were restarting, when was it going to be? And it was crazy. Like I said to John just off uh, in the break that it feels so long ago now. Um, <laughs> just sitting on Zoom and having these meetings and thinking, when on earth are we going to have a, a game, you know, again and, and actually be able to go to work because none of us went into the training ground and, and none of us actually saw each other for, you know, five, six months. It was all just everything was yeah. being done at home and, now we've had a full season, you know, gone and, and we're now well into the next season and it's just flown by yet yeah, that the whole start of it and that whole panic and, you know, the uncertainty, even though it was only just over a year ago, it, it feels like forever. Is it getting, I mean, is it going to, is it similar to like back being back to square one? Is it, I mean, like a, the first day back at work or do you feel like normalcy sort of resumed for you? It was a little bit the first day we went back in, although the first day we went back in was also the first time any of us had ever had a COVID test. So that was something we had to get quite used to because I think I've probably had about 100 now because we're still COVID testing. We're still COVID testing every single week. So, yeah, that's something we've had to get used to. But it was not, it was just when it's a routine, you do get, I mean, it changed. Like I remember the first day we were back in properly for training. I mean, like we used to, the, the girls would go into the training ground and, and sit in the canteen and have a coffee or have something to eat. And, and that's not happened. It, it's relaxed a little bit this year, but last season it was basically you turned up in your training kit, you sat in your car and then you went to the training pitch and that was it. And then you came off yeah. the training pitch and you got back in your car. You couldn't use the showers. You couldn't do it. You could not go inside. You could go inside to use like one toilet and that was it. Um, and you just get used to that. You just get used to like how that is. And it was great coming back and obviously seeing everyone again. And, you know, like I said, you had to jump through hoops a little bit in terms of just getting used to a new way of working, you know, having a mask on all the time, whether you were indoors, outdoors, whatever, all the sort of individual training we had to go through before you could train as a group. And it was just surreal in a way. And, and like I said, this year now, it's still different. It's a lot more relaxed. It's a lot closer to what it was before. But in a way, it's also stranger because you can't get too relaxed. You know, yeah. it's still out there. Like I said, you know, there's still thousands and thousands of cases every day. Like it's not gone away. Obviously, everyone, I'm pretty certain within our team, I, I can't speak for everyone else, but I think all of our girls that are adults that are over 18 have had all the jabs. Oh, and we've good. been lucky. We've been lucky this year. Like we've we've had one or two cases like amongst players and staff, but nothing major. I know a couple of clubs had some outbreaks in pre-season and, and that's still going to happen. You know, it's just something we have to deal with. But yeah, it, it's been a lot better this year. Like it's a lot more relaxed, but you've still got to, 
you know, be careful because it all it takes if one or two people get it and then it spreads around your whole team and then you've got probably, you know, a couple of games that are postponed that you you know, and it, it's, yeah. it's not what you want. And and we had a lot of that last year. So yeah, you know, again, I can't say I can complain too much because we've been very lucky to be able to get on with our jobs. You know, football's a very privileged environment if you work in it. It kind of survives in its own bubble in that, you know, a lot of people gave football a lot of stick last year because we just sort of came back and carried on and that was it. Everyone else was sat at home, you know, and we were going to football games and you think, well, yeah, you know, it's a bit stupid at the end of the day, but that's football, isn't it? Like it's got such a high demand all around the world and, and it makes so much money that it kind of had to restart because I think if it hadn't have restarted, we might be sat here having a different conversation about what women's football looks like now. So, um, you know, it was yeah. good. And, and I think everyone has, I think everyone's done it sensibly. You know, yes, there's been cases. Yeah, there's been outbreaks. And, and obviously there was a few stories last year about teams that, had, you know, pushed the boundaries a little bit in terms of COVID protocols, obviously with holidays abroad and, and parties <laughs> and things like that. But it, it was yeah. obviously, it was thankfully only one or two, you know, they, and that was always going to happen. You know, there was always going to be a couple yeah. of stories like that. But I think everybody has taken it very seriously. And yeah, you know, we got a full season and, you know, everyone came out the other end of it. Yeah. My city got a lot of good press because of that. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, Jonathan, the other thing that we I mean, we touched upon early on is accessibility. And the fact that the FA player was there to give us free access to all of this, all of these games that were still being broadcasted, you still could watch these games. At least, I mean, I'm saying that I know it's not the same as be. You can't replicate being at the stadium, but I'm sure that everyone is grateful for that sort of accessibility, and especially that it's free because we all have heard about in the men's game how expensive you know Sky is or how expensive BT packages are. I mean, the same here, you know, in Dubai, like the packages are insane. So to have something that is accessible and that's not illegal, by the way. So I mean. They're always the illegal streams which are free, but I'm saying something that is proper, legit, and that's free. I'm sure that everyone's grateful for it. I'm, and I just want to know your thoughts as well on that. Yeah, because well, we have to learn to adapt. So we always want what's best that we could possibly get. So when, when we were able to go to games, then all of a sudden the FI player is almost laughable uh, because yeah. we wreck we games and we don't really care about the FI player. But then, of course, when we can't get to games, we rely on good streams um, or BT or Sky now. Um, and then, of course, the FI players for free. And for people like me and other people on social media who are trying to raise awareness for the women's football, yeah. you know, I was proud to say, look, the FI player, you can watch this for free. Uh, okay, yeah. the commentators is not the, not the best. Um, there's no pre-match or post-match, but you can actually watch your team. And I think that, that worked really well over, over um, the, the uh, 18 month break because you was guaranteed to be able to watch your team as long as the team was in the top flight. Um, whereas, you know, a lot of fans had never heard of the FA player until obviously Colby hit. So I think, you know, it, it really it really helped obviously obviously the fans, but helped the FA raise awareness that way as well, which is which is great. But now obviously we've got Sky coming in. No one's gonna go back to the FA player unless unless it's either baby live abroad and you, you can't get access to Sky. So I think as fans, you always go for your best, your best yeah. option. And at the moment, 
FA player has gone up and down, up and down, and hopefully we won't need we won't need it again for some time. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. In, in terms of the FA player, like I was introduced to the to women's football because of the FA player in the sense that I asked someone who watched the women's game where they watch it, someone living abroad, and they they suggested the FA player, and I, and I. My first immediate thought was that was going to be geo tagged or like they were going to block it, geo block. So I wouldn't be because I wasn't the UK that they wouldn't allow me. But I was pleasantly surprised that I could just access it without the use of a VPN. So I'm grateful that it's still continuing despite the BT and the Sky Sport. Uh, I mean the BT package and all of that. So just on that, I just thought obviously the championship, so that will help obviously Rich and Sheffield a lot more. Um, who probably won't get on Sky as often. You've still got the FA player there. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing there's, there's more games on the FA player now, Rich, for some of the championship teams. Yeah, you know, it, it was good. Obviously, it kind of rotates a little bit more in the championship in terms of you kind of get on once every, sort of once in a blue moon, but obviously it helps. And um, it kind of, in a selfish way, kind of em- emphasises your role a little bit more when you're a social media manager because what you put out to the world is the only sort of way they can actually yeah. follow your games, you know, whereas before, you know, a lot of people could come and watch the games anyway. So they knew what was going on. They knew what the goals looked like. They knew what was going on. And, you know, whenever we posted a goal clip or a save or something on Twitter, it was the first time anybody was seeing it because there was nobody at the games and, and you actually got a little bit more social interaction. You know, we tried very hard and I think a lot of clubs did to kind of push that social media. and There was obviously that crazy sort of phase during the first lockdown where teams were doing all sorts of stuff. Like there was games of like Connect Four going on on, on social media between different clubs. and Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the toilet roll challenges and like we did one of those and we got every player involved and the staff and it was just, it was just so weird, you know. I, yeah. I think back now all the little things that we did and, that sort of bubble that we, because I mean, during obviously, I mean, they've said obviously we've had a couple of lockdowns since, but they've been nothing like the first. You know, you've still been able to live with a, a certain amount of freedom in terms of work. Um, but obviously, the first lockdown, it was literally you could go out, out once a day for a walk and that was it. You know, you couldn't go to work, you couldn't see anybody, and you had to get very creative in terms of social media um, in how you promoted your club and kept your sort of players and your team in the public eye. And obviously we got into that pre-season as well and you're signing players and you can't even go in and like do interviews and things like that. You know, we were doing all our interviews over Zoom and it it kind of, it was like a fresh challenge in a way. It kind of made you adapt and learn different things because you you couldn't do your job normally. And and it feels so surreal to think back now because it, it, I mean, it is kind of back to normal now a little bit. I mean, my day-to-day, I wouldn't say it's different to how it was pre-COVID. You know, I can go to work and, you know, sit in the office and, you know, sit with the staff and, and see the players. And, you know, yeah, you still, you know, certain situations, you've got to wear a mask or you've got to do this or do that. But it's very normal now. Um, and it just actually makes that sort of six-month period just feel even weirder in a way like it was almost like you were living a different life but no it it was interesting like it it really threw up some opportunities to kind of reinvent how we covered our clubs and interact actually with other clubs and and our players in different ways and it was actually 
at times it was a lot of fun. Like our players had a weekly quiz, you know, on Zoom and we used to mm. even do coverage of that, you know, and update people on like how the teams were doing. And it was just trying to keep your players sort of uh, and keep your fans connected because at the end of the day, we were lucky, you know, we could still go to work eventually and we could still go to the games and for a whole 12 months, our fans still couldn't. So, you know, you really want to keep your players and, and what you're doing in their consciousness. And, you know, it, it was quite fun actually coming up with sort of different creative ways of, of how you could do it when you couldn't <laughs> actually sure. see your players face to face. And yeah, as a, obviously as a social media manager, as well as like a freelance journalist, you, you mentioned, you know, you got into women's football because, you know, you were doing a project, you gained that, I mean, accessibility is obviously easier in the women's game. Now, obviously, this has changed. You're now doing a lot more Zoom calls to, you know, whether it be press conferences or talking to players, like you mentioned, interviews and all of that. Has that, I mean, is there sort of something that you lose from the face-to-face -face interaction? Or given that how the world's anyway way to technology, technologically driven and developed, that it's not that problematic or that discernible? Like it's fine. Even if you do it on a Zoom call, it's okay face-to-face. -face. It really, there's not, there's not much of a difference. It's not problematic from a point of view of getting what you need. There have been a few technical malfunctions over the last 12 <laughs> months with various clubs and, and things happen, you know, you have an electric power cut or, you know, the Wi-Fi drops off or something like that. And, and that's just one of those things. But I, I've always preferred the face-to-face -face stuff. It's just a lot more personal. Um, especially if you're doing something one-on-one, -on -one. you know, you can actually sit down with someone, you know, you sort of have that idle chit-chat for a bit. You can have a coffee and, yeah, it's it's a lot better, I think, face-to-face. -face. And I hope it does start. I mean, we had all the media went to Wembley the other week and met Serena Wiegmann for the first time. And I think it was the first sort of real proper media session with anybody that we'd all had Kind of, I mean, we've all seen each other as, as journalists and friends because we've mm -hmm. been going to games, but it was probably the first like media session we'd had. And you know, you just go in and you're catching up with people and you can walk around and chat and, like you say, have a drink or something to eat. And you know, you can all sit around a table and, and do a proper interview and laugh and joke. And you know, it just, yeah, it's so much more relaxed. And you know, I hope. I hope clubs don't just think, well, you know, we're just going to do everything on Zoom now forever and a day because it's more convenient. Um, I mean, look, it has to be safety first, of course it does. Yeah. But, you know, I think now in certain situations, I mean, we had to do, to get to Wembley, we had to do lateral flow tests and prove that we obviously had negative lateral flow tests. And if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. But I think, you know, you go to some games and, you know, there's still sometimes only two or three people in the press box. And you think, well, if two or three of us go at the side of the pitch outdoors with our masks on and speak to the manager, nothing's going to happen. Yet you're still sat in the press box on a, on a Zoom call and you're all sat next to each other and you're on a Zoom call. And you think, well, if we're sat here, why can't we go and sit down there and yeah. speak to the manager? So I don't know whether it's just clubs are reluctant. I don't know whether that's been what they're told to do or whether they're just doing it out of habit now. I think there do are a couple that are doing... Do you doing think it's like, going to be out of habit? Like, do you think the future is going to be just Zoom calls or do you feel... I, mean, I know you hope that it'd be a lot more, in, like, you know, face-to-face -face and all of that, but do you feel like 
you know, it's going to be a lot more technical technology driven. Oh, I mean, like techno in technology in general. Yes, I mean, I'm sure clubs will always find new ways, particularly with social media. It's changing all the time in, in terms of how the world is covered and how football is covered. Um, but I hope not. Well, I think there's a lot, and, and we've offered that feedback. You know, some clubs, some clubs are doing face to face. It has to be said, like in terms of post match media and pre match media, some aren't. Some are still sticking with with Zoom calls, but like, you know, some clubs have actually asked for our feedback on what we prefer and how we want to move forward. And nice. it's good to at least have those conversations. But yeah, you know, I was at Man City the other week when they played Real Madrid and, you, you know, we're still on Zoom after the game, speaking to Gareth Taylor, like the six journalists and we're all sat next to each other in the press box. Mm-hmm. Yet we're all on a Zoom call and it, it does feel a little bit strange, especially given Man City have a gigantic press room where we used to do the press conferences. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure there's all kinds of rules and regulations that go into it in terms of each club's COVID protocols individually. But, yeah, I hope over the course of this season it does change, um, even if it means having to do lateral flow tests or show proof that you've been vaccinated or whatever. Um, I think the Everton... we were a few, Quite a few of us went to the Everton-Man City game on the opening day and we had to get like a vaccination pass on the NHS app and you know it's not ideal but if that's what you got to do it's what you got to do but then you think well if we're doing this why can't we speak to them face to face you know we've all proven that we're we've got negative tests or yeah we've been vaccinated so why are we still on zoom you know so but if that's what clubs want to do it's what they want to do but I do hope it changes yeah it is slightly bewildering that if you are vaccinated or do have a negative test that you won't be able to they won't be able to watch. I mean, speak face to face. I'm I'm sure they will keep that distance, the two meter distance. Not you're not going to go, hey buddy, and put your arms around the manager and talk to him right up close. But yeah, it's even the same here. Like when you go to events, you still need to kind of show we have a vaccination card here, so you need to show that. But I mean, it's not like we're going to be sitting in Zoom meetings watching games or something like that. So hopefully that changes. Uh, Jonathan, a last question for you, which obviously we looked at the finances of clubs and we said that, okay, they've come out well, but I think the key factor or the key person in, in this whole scenario is the player itself. So how do you think playing behind closed doors? I'm sure you've either, I, I'm not sure if you've spoken to any player, uh, you were rich, uh, but or interviewed anyone, but have have you heard of any stories about how these players have had to, you know, the difficulties they've had to go through during this entire period, COVID regulations, playing behind closed doors? I'm sure people have spoken about how, you know, without fans there, the game hasn't been that great. They haven't been able to, you know, openly uh, assert themselves or, you know, play properly. So I just want to know your thoughts on that. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to be at a stadium where... Um... It was last season. I was allowed to be in the stadium, but we was allowed to meet up in groups of six at uh, at a pub or restaurant. So I was at a stadium where our players were playing. So you know we were lucky that we were able to speak to these players safely. Um, they had all their security guards around them, so of course we was able to do it in a proper way. And and the players, they never said that they found it difficult at all. They never said how how difficult it was, but they were expressing their excitement about fans returning back to the stadium. 
And I think it's the, the one thing that I think kept everyone going. Um, fans just obviously wanted to be there to support the players, but also the players just actually wanted, um, just wanted the support again. Don't forget, a lot of players have come up through women's football, not necessarily wanting the money, but wanting to actually be footballers and the grow obviously admiring a lot of the men's team as well. And, and they want that atmosphere and they want fans and they want to play in front of fans and to play in front of empty stadiums. It does seem very hollow. There's not much emotion there. So I completely get the angle that they're coming at. I mean, I'm, I'm sure which will probably have had more proper in-depth interviews with maybe players in regards to how they've got, um, got around it. But from myself, not just from what I've spoken to them about, but from what I've seen on uh, the Man United app or MUTV, they've done things that they wouldn't usually do in the sense of they've been like, like, like what you said, they've been playing games, they've been having their Zoom calls with the managers and all this kind of stuff. And they found ways to adapt as well. And it's just such a shame that obviously it's for this kind of to do that. But there's nothing better than being back inside the stadium with your fans and, you know, doing things the way that it should be. Um, obviously, it's just been very forced in the last 18 months and it just, it's become the normal because it's had to, it's had to be, so you just had to deal with it. Whereas now that we don't need to deal with 75% of it, then it's, it's good just to go back to the way things were. And Rich, from your perspective, you know, how difficult has, you know, someone like if you're talking about the Sheffield players, you know, how tough ha- has it been for them? I think the players didn't enjoy playing in front of empty stadiums, but again, sort of like I said before, you do get kind of used to it after a while because you have to. Um mm-hmm. The one thing about human beings is we just adapt like to what we have to live with and you, you have no other choice. But I think for probably players at our level, it was difficult because obviously a lot of them are part-time and they have jobs outside of football and, you know, some are teachers and, you know, they were all working in jobs, you know, again, where there was that kind of uncertainty and, you know, obviously if, if their work life is uncertain and then their football life is uncertain, I'm, I'm sure it was stressful. We had a great group, you know, last season and, and this season as well. And, you know, like I said, they did a lot of sort of team bonding stuff where they could, you know, they had Zoom calls and quizzes and, you know, things like that. And, and they got together a lot and, you know, some, uh, quite a few of them are local anyway. They got their families. And so I never got an impression that any of them massively struggled. There was like, you know, options there for them. If they wanted to talk to someone at the club, they could do. You know, the club, the managers, the staff were very open with that. You know, if anybody needed anyone to talk to, you know, that was there for them. Um, I just think now it's just nice to be able to be back and have the fans back. And it's sort of sad in a way that we're sort of programmed to sort of fear going back to normal in a way. Like I, I I saw a video from the Arsenal game on the opening day against Chelsea of Leah Williamson signing God knows how many autographs for the yeah. fans. And I saw a couple of people saying like, oh, you know, is that safe? And I just thought, yeah. probably not, no. But we, <laughs> yeah. you know, we, we just got to get, you know, we had the same, like we had our first home game the other week um, mm-hmm. with our fans back. And, you know, there's loads of like kids there, you know, 10-year-old girls who, you know, had, had programmes they wanted signing and, our entire squad went over to the fans afterwards and were, you know, signing autographs. And one of the stewards came up to me and said, you know, that's not like allowed. And I said, I know it's not, but like have a day off. Come on. You know, it's just, yeah. 
because you just think like if we're going to stop that if we're going to tell our, our players you know it's an outdoor environment you know it's completely open um you know people have masks on the, the girls have all been jabbed and if we're going to get to a point where we're saying you can't go over and see you know a group of little kids that just want an autograph you know that that haven't seen the players for 18 months then we might as well just stop and go home you know because yeah it's a catch 22 because yes there are still people dying every day and it's horrible but you know life stopped for quite a long time and and it became very evident we couldn't do that forever or else things were going to get bad in terms of football and and what we came back to and you know, if we're going to do this, yes, we have to take the right precautions and, and we have to do what we're doing. But, you know, I think you have to be a little bit sensible in terms of, look, if, if a girl wants an autograph and it's in a sensible environment, you know, outdoors yeah. and things like that, it's not going to harm anybody. So, and I think a lot of clubs have been the same. Like I think I think they were all sort of told, you know, not to have fans sort of mingling with players, but it's very hard to stop once, once all yeah. the players sort of go over and, and start, Signing things and chat, you know, and I it's don't think kind of like the found. It's the foundation of what this women's football has been doing, right? It, like it's massively the foundation, and like I think you see a video of Leah Williamson spending, you know, God knows how long she was doing it, you know, signing autographs for fans when it's the first, especially at that level, you know, where they are really idols. You know, you're talking senior England internationals. Obviously, Leah was the captain for England the last two games, and. You know, if we're going to stop that or we're going to tell people off for doing that, then I'm not massively sure I want to be a part of that anymore. So, you know, and I think all the clubs are the same. It's hard to stop because, A, physically it's hard to stop because you've got (laughs) 20-odd players. And, B, it's mentally hard to stop because you've got to be really cold-hearted to want to stop something like that. So, especially when it's the first time these fans have seen the players in 18 months. So... You know, yeah, there's got to be that caution. Costa has, we're still in, you know, it's still very precarious and it's not gone away. And it's, it, but the, the reality is it's, it's probably never going to go away. You know, we will have to live with this forever now, you know. And as long as we, you know, we've taken all, I come from the point of view and I think, well, people have been telling me to get jabbed for the, like the last year. And I think, well, I've been jabbed now. So why are you still telling me I can't do all these things? <laughs> like, was this not the point yeah. that we all yeah. get vaccinated? And then, <laughs> no, yeah. You know, we can sort of, we can sort of start. You know, people saying, "Oh, you need to do a COVID test." Right, well, I've done one, so why are you now telling me I can't do this? You yeah. know, so it's a little bit like, you know, we have to get on with our lives, or else we're just going to be sat inside forever. Yeah. Now it's the same thing. I think uh, so. We've got like the cricket going on here, and it's like if you're in Dubai, you just need to be. You need to prove that you've been vaccinated. But if you move into any other emirate, like. Abu Dhabi or Sharjah, you need to get a PCR test as well. And I'm like, if I'm not getting out of the country, I am not getting a PCR test just for anything. Like, I've been vaccinated. I can show you, like, I've got two jabs. I've, like, felt the effects of the second jab of the second Pfizer jab. I was like, I'm not going to be, like, I'm okay. Like, I'm not going to do that. But, yeah, I can totally understand that. All right. uh, I think now the final sort of words here. So, Jonathan... Fans are now back. What are the what's the one thing that you're now so excited to see, given that the fans are back, the atmosphere is going to be back. Obviously, Rich mentioned it's not come back in the numbers that we expected to, but still, I mean, something's better than nothing. Yeah, I think for me, it's um, it's going back to normal. I think that's what I want to say. I, I want I want to, I, and I'm, I'm able to do this, but I'm able to stand next to my mates who I might not have seen for eighteen months and just cheer for our team again and. 
we don't need to, we don't need to stand like two meters apart. You know, we, we are right next to each other, which is which is great. So obviously, being around people who make you happy, obviously, is, is the biggest is the biggest thing. Then obviously, just cheering cheering on on our players, and we know that they can hear our voices on you know when they're playing. And this is what we want. You know, this is we want to cheer them on. We know how much it means to them as well, and um, we just want things to go back to normal. And to be fair, I think pretty much has gone back to normal. I appreciate it. after the game or before the game, you can't get as close and have those pictures with with your, your players that maybe we could have done eighteen months ago. But we get in there and just you know just on that you know some of the silliness that Rich kind of mentioned inside the stadium. What I've noticed, I've been to a few stadiums in the last couple of months. Yeah, you know, you might have to keep your distance, but as soon as they leave the stadium and they're going back to cars and, you know, you're interacting like you, you like we did two years ago. So it's completely, you know, there are some silly stories out there that just look quite add up. But um, for me, it's all about getting back to the stadium, supporting your team and um, growing those crowds again. Yeah, and uh, Rich, the same question to you. So what's the one thing that you're looking forward to now that you know, the fans are back? I think the same as what John said. I mean, like, you know, it's been different for me. Obviously, the fans are now kind of going through that experience of being able to come back to stadiums, whereas obviously for me, that was 12 months ago. And, you know, I've kind of got used to that now. And, and now we're getting used to having fans back in from a club point of view. But, yeah, I think just that, again, that progressive return further towards normality, like John said, again, you know, things are quite normal again now, obviously with some differences. But, and, and again, just moving back towards that, I mean, like you said, you know, there's some things that just make you laugh, like in terms of you can't do this. And then, like you say, you go out into the car park and everyone's crowded around each other, talking to their families, talking to them, And you just think, well, like, you know, come on, what? It's just doing my head in, like people saying, well, you need to do a lateral flow test. Well, why? You're not letting me do anything when I get in the ground anyway. You're just telling me to go on Zoom. So why am I doing these tests? I think. It just needs to be a little bit of common sense, I think. You know, you've got to trust people to do the right things. But it, it, it is strange that, you know, you say, oh, you've got to be really careful inside the stadium, you know, don't mix with the fans, don't do this, you know, don't share changing rooms. And, and then everyone goes outside and they go for a coffee, like as a group, or they go and see their families. And you think, well, you know, is, is COVID more prevalent in a football stadium or something? Like, it, it's not, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's everywhere. It's... You can't say, well, you've got to be careful doing this and then everyone just goes and, and has a meal together or, or has a drink. You know, it's it's just one of those things. Like, you've got to trust people now. Like I said, this is not going away. You know, we've all been vaccinated. We've all, we're all COVID testing every single week within football clubs. And I'm sure that's not just Sheffield United. I think every single club is still doing that. Um, and we do that so that, you know, we don't go wild, but we can live and work a certain way and get on with our jobs and you know if we're not if we can't do that what's the point of testing every week um yeah. and what's the point of having the vaccination so i think like john said it's just that progressive return to normality and i get for some people it's still strange and people are very cautious and i completely get that and i said that at the start about maybe why fans are not coming back to stadiums maybe in the numbers they were before but for those that want to, they're there for a reason. And, you know, they're happy to take those those risks and, and take the precautions that, that mean they can come and watch football. And, you know, if that's what people want to do, great. You know, we've got to move on and, like I said, just, just live with it and adapt. And, and that's what humans do. So, yeah, I just 
I just hope again, come the end of the season, we look at it and think, well, we've taken another few steps forward and then next season we can take a few more steps forward again and, and just see where we're at because we're all still learning. We're yeah. all learning how to live with this and how to adapt every single day because nobody's ever been through this before. So, But I think obviously the fact that we have fans back in the stadiums is probably the biggest step possible because at one point I was starting to think we weren't going to have fans back for years, to be honest. And as a social media manager, you already mentioned that you know when fans weren't there, your job became that much more important. So is the stress now going to be sort of relieved slightly now that you've got fans back in and you can, we've got other like other accounts that we could probably look at for live updates. No, again, you just have to adapt. I mean, we signed a Man United player on loan again, so John will tell you that as soon as we sign a Man United player, it goes tenfold. Um, in terms of the attention. So I'm still waiting for them all to come down to watch a Sheffield United game. But no, like it's it's been good because it kind of, yeah, I mean, obviously you go back to how it kind of was before, but social media is always changing and like you're always looking for yeah. ways that, uh, and actually the big challenge now has been we have had to start promoting tickets again. We've had to start trying to get fans back into the stadiums. And like yeah. I said, that is a bit of a challenge for clubs at the moment to sort of convince people to come back. Um, we had a pretty decent crowd for our first game and, and we announced yesterday that we're playing at Bramall Lane in a couple of weeks, which would be great. So, yeah, I, it's always changing. And, and like I said, now you adapt again because last season, you know, we weren't selling tickets, you know, so we weren't, all we would do is we'd say, look, we've got a game this weekend. You can watch on the FA player or you can watch highlights or whatever. And that was it. You know, there was no real work to be done around promoting the games because we knew people couldn't come. Um, yeah. you know, you weren't doing match day programs. You know, we've started doing match day programs again. So you've got deadlines to get match day program contents things and and finished, you know, days before a game. So but I welcome that, you know, because it's what it was like before and, and that feels normal. So now from a social media point of view, it's still been good. It, it was a challenge and it's still a challenge now because you've gone from one extreme to the other. Um and now we're trying to get fans back in the stadium. So no, it's been good. Awesome. All right, so I guess that's about all the time we have for this particular episode. Thank you, Rich and Jonathan, for being a part of this podcast and coming on here and giving your thoughts on this very important topic. Uh, I can't wait to host you in the near future, whether it be for similar such series or you know other series with, that we do as well on the podcast. So until then, thank you. And yeah, like I mentioned, can't wait to see you and talk to you soon. And to and I guess that's about it for episode number two of season three of the FFS series. Uh, like I mentioned, if you're listening to this on the audio podcast, then you know head over to the Patreon channel, uh, Patreon page. You can check out our membership tiers, and you can watch this on YouTube. Um, and if you're watching this on YouTube, then thank you for supporting us. And yeah, apart from that, yeah, please do like uh, like the podcast you can follow them on several different podcast platforms and yeah i'll put the link in the description for uh jonathan's uh, all for united youtube channel as well you can go check them out they do live shows as well and yeah i'll catch you all on episode three which will come out next week so i'm your host Brady once again you stay safe and see you